as it's already been said, it's good to gather in the house of the Lord. I appreciate Daniel so much. I know he and Sarah and many others have been dealing with illness for a couple of weeks, and so I appreciate his commitment to lead through the difficulties of his voice, um, just some of the struggles there, but we're thankful that he is feeling better and Sarah's feeling better. And I know uh, many in your all's families are dealing with some of this same illness, and so we lift those up uh, around us. Uh, those who are sick, some with COVID, some with something else, some with something that we're not sure what it is, but uh, just continue to lift each other up uh, through this uh, through this time of illness, through this time of winter weather, which seems like always gets us down just a little bit more. So uh, we can encourage one another in that. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm almost willing to make you a promise that next week we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2. But I'm not quite almost there yet, so we'll see if that's where the Lord takes us or not. But we've spent several weeks in Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, there's just so much here. There's so much here about the worship of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the exaltation of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, uh, the eternal plan of God to redeem a people for himself. Um, and Paul couches all of this in the, uh, in the language of worship. In the language of praise, in the language of, of the glory of God in the person of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, as we continue even to take a look at, uh, at this passage, we're going to begin in verse 15 here in just a minute, Ephesians chapter 1. But as we begin to take a look, and Paul transitions, not really his worship, but just his style of worship or his, his element of worship, maybe a better way of putting that, he goes from from voicing praise to voicing a prayer. Uh, but the spirit and the heart of worship uh, doesn't, doesn't leave Paul as he continues to close out um, this, what we know of as Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, I'm going to ask you to stand again as we honor reading the word. We're going to read down through verse 23, the end of this chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul has been worshiping the Lord. He has said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us before the foundation of the world, who secured us in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, verse 21, all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the inspiration of your word. We thank you that your word penetrates our heart. And our prayer today is that you would drive us to prayer as an act of worship. And we would exalt you in everything we say and do. Every word that comes out of our mouth, every meditation of our heart, every thought of our mind. May it bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. As we've already noticed, noted several times, Paul is leading this church, this church in Ephesus, to worship God. He opens the book by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's leading us to worship God. He's also leading us to worship Jesus, the Son, in whom He predestined us to adoption as children in the Beloved. And He's leading us to worship God the Holy Spirit, who is the eternal seal and guarantee of our salvation until the day of redemption. Every single word that Paul has written thus far in this letter has been a word of praise and worship to God. And when he transitions to praying, this does not stop. He continues to worship as he begins praying. Paul has acknowledged, and we need to talk about this because context is so important. Paul has acknowledged what we talked about last week as the only response to his eternal working of his plan, of God's plan of redemption for humanity that began before time began and will last long after it ends. Paul tells us, last long after it ends, Paul tells us that our believing, our response to that is faithfulness. It's our walking faithful in Christ, walking faithfully in the Holy Spirit, walking faithfully in the truth of God's word and in the power of his presence. And so Paul says here in verses 15 and 16, he says, for this reason, what reason? The reason is I heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for the saints. For this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I want to just offer this little parenthesis before we begin. Looking at the meat of this prayer. As Paul worships. As Paul worships in the writing of this letter. His worship becomes more specific. As he remembers the faithfulness of this church. As he remembers the faithfulness of the people he's writing to. As I was reading through this I was reminded of John. The author of the Gospel of John, as well as three letters in the Revelation. But in 3 John chapter, verse 2, there's only one chapter. 3 John chapter 2, little bitty letter. He opens that letter by writing to the recipient saying, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good physical health as it goes with your soul. That you would be in good health as it goes with your soul. Beloved John is praying for the physical health of those he's, he's writing to and that it would be equal to the spiritual health that they were experiencing. Friends, I would be fearful if someone prayed this for me because oftentimes my spiritual health is lacking. 
Oftentimes my spiritual health is lacking, but John knew this church. He knew this church that he was writing to, and he knew that they were spiritually healthy. He follows up this verse by writing, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, and I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So John could pray for their physical health to equal their spiritual health because he knows they are walking in the truth. Paul is saying something similar to the Ephesian church here. He's saying your faith in the Lord and your love towards the saints has driven me to prayer and praise to God. And so before we dig into the meat of this, I want to pause here for a second and I want to ask us, does our church bring about the praise of other believers? Does it encourage other believers? Does it cause other Christians to be emboldened in their faith, strengthened in their witness? more faithful in their walk? Are we reflecting this kind of faithfulness? And just as challenging as this, does the faithful ministry of other churches bring about praise to God among us? That what God is doing in other congregations, in someone else's life, in someone else's ministry? Do we celebrate those things, worship the Lord, and, and pray to Him? Beloved, I pray that we never find ourselves in a spirit of, of competition with other kingdom-building, kingdom-minded, Bible-preaching churches, congregations, and ministries. I'm thankful for the challenging words of Paul here. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayer. These are the, these are the two primary evidences that Paul will write all through his letters and says that points us towards, a, towards our demonstrating Genuine, real faith. Love for God and love for others. Which just so happens to be exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 22 when he said, love God and love your neighbor. May that drive us to prayer. So let's look at this prayer. Let's look at this prayer that Paul initiates to continue this worship. He prays that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to his church, 
his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me give you a quick little outline of where we're going with this prayer. Number one is there is only one person that Paul addresses in this prayer. One person that he addresses in this prayer. There are three specific requests that Paul makes in this prayer. And there is an overarching purpose. One overarching purpose for Paul's prayer. I'll summarize and then we'll dig in. Paul prays to one person. That one person is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory. First, he requests that they would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Spirit and revelation. Next, he prays that they would know what is the hope to which he has called them. Know the hope that he has called them to. Finally, he requests that they would uh, know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. His power towards those who believe. He prays for wisdom, he prays for hope, and he prays for power. And the one overarching purpose, the one overarching purpose for God granting these requests is that God is working in the authority of the risen Christ who is head over all. Who is head over the church. So let's look at each of these briefly. You know how relative that's defined. First, I want us to know what Paul prays for here in verse 17. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, who is he praying to? He is praying to one person, the God and Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. There's several things that we could dig into here, but there's two specific points that I want us to notice here. First, first is that Paul's address to his power, his address in his prayer is noticeably different from the prayers of the Old Testament. When the prophets or the kings or anyone rightly acknowledged God in the Old Testament, oftentimes he was referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is especially true in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses. When God met Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 verse 6, God said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Bible says Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at him. God affirms this later on in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26, 42, he says, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and I will remember my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. God being identified as the father is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even later into the history, when, when the Israelite people were being oppressed and attacked, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 13, when Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel, the Lord was gracious to them, had compassion on them, and he turned towards them because of this of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would not destroy them. 
We talked a few weeks ago in our 522 group about the, the gospel of Matthew and how it is written specifically and primarily to Jewish Christians. So it's not surprising that three times in that book, in the gospel of Matthew, we find Jesus saying something like he says in Matthew 20. Uh, Matthew 22, that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That he is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. For the Old Testament saint, the God they worshipped was the God of the covenant. The God of the covenant, the covenant that he made with Abraham, that was renewed through his sons, Isaac and Jacob. We know that covenant would then be affirmed with Moses and David. And later the prophet Jeremiah would, would teach of a new covenant that God was writing on the hearts of his people. But in the New Testament, we find the fulfillment of this covenant. We find it in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when Paul prays, he doesn't pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't pray to the God of Moses or David or of the prophets. He prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory. The God of the covenant of grace. The eternal covenant that he's just talked about in the verses preceding this. I'm going to talk a little bit in just a moment about why this is so important. But there's a second point I need us to see. There's a second point that I need us to see here, and that is this. Even going all the way back, when Jesus taught us to pray, when Jesus taught His disciples to pray in the Gospel of Matthew, He begins to give them instruction. And He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father, please, let's not miss this. Let's not miss this. Jesus is declaring His eternal relationship as the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of the eternal covenant of grace, and, and He is relating Himself to us, to the saints, faithful in Christ Jesus, who He has blessed in the heavenly places. Whom he chose before the foundation of the world. And in love predestined to be adopted as his children. Our Father. In Jesus' high priestly prayer of John 17. He opens that prayer with simply the word Father. Here's why this is important. This is why it was important to them. This is why it's important to us. When Paul prays. When Paul prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he prays to the Father of glory, he is ushering us into the presence of the triune God, the Trinity. He is ushering us into the presence of God the Father, of Jesus the Son, of the Holy Spirit, of all heavenly blessings. Paul is affirming our eternal covenant with God. Our eternal covenant. The covenant He has just worshipped God for in the preceding verses. The God who chose, the Son who died and was risen again, 
and the Spirit who is our eternally secure guarantee. This God we pray to seeks an audience with His children. And His Son is Christ. But in Christ, we become His children too. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church among a series of exhortation. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. Pray always. A few verses later we see what motivates Paul to say this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23 he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray without ceasing. Paul continues to worship God. Now, through prayer, to one audience, the covenant God of Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen, and now reigning Savior. And so as Paul comes to him in prayer, let's look at what he requests. What are these things that Paul asks for, if you will? First is found in verse 17. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The word mystery is translated in the ESV translation, the translation I use. It's translated in the New Testament 24 times. Of those 24 times it's found in the New Testament, eight of those times are found in the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote this letter in a time of confusion as false teachers were attacking the church and they were beginning to dangerously influence her. Paul speaks several times in this book of the mystery of God's will and the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to the church of 1 Corinthians offers some clarification. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22, Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to, to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He says again later in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerning. Paul's prayer here for the Ephesian saints is that they would be spiritually minded, not naturally minded or carnally 
minded. Paul is praying that their wisdom would be from above and not from the flesh. He is praying that they would put on the mind of Christ. That they would be transformed by the renewing of their mind. He's praying the same thing he prays to Colossians in Colossians chapter 3. To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Friends, we face the same dangers. We face the same dangers. What we do, if we do it biblically, what we do as a church does not make sense to this rational world. It doesn't make sense to the business world. It doesn't make sense to the scientific world or the world of philosophy or psychology or education. Our mindsets cannot be on pragmatism, doing whatever works to get the desired results. We see this too often in church today and it's been here for generations. We become party planners and event centers for the sake of attracting people to our churches. Yet we never proclaim that Jesus died for our sin and rose for our salvation. We never warn people that they will die in their sins and spend eternity in a very, very real hell. We never open the Bible and preach and teach the truth of God's revelation to humanity about how we can live peaceable lives, lives of kindness to one another, to the glory of our Creator. Paul begs the God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give us a spirit, not just any spirit, but he prays that God would give us the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation. That our minds would be filled with the goodness and truth of his word. Paul is praying that God would grant the promise of Jesus in John chapter 16. That when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Beloved, let's not get lost in the mess of the world. Not to the point of forsaking the wisdom and revelation of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a mystery to this lost world. This lost world of darkness. And yet Jesus has called us to be the light of this world. And we cannot live under the basket of the folly and foolishness of this world. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We've got to move on. Next, Paul prays in verse 18. That having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Hope. Hope. Hope is a mysterious reality to us as well. Today we generally think of hope as, as a wish. I hope I get a raise at work. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. 
I hope my kids turn out pretty good. I hope she doesn't ask me about the job I don't have done yet, and I hope I don't get caught. Hope is seen as wishful thinking. A shot in the dark that might hit the target and possibly even hit the bullseye, but it probably won't. Hope is much more than wishful thinking. Hope, as Paul writes about it here, is a certainty in a secured future. It's certainty in a secured future. Hope is what drives us through the pain and the suffering of this world because we know that God the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our eternity. We can endure one more rejection from a friend, one more insult from an enemy, one more blow from the world because we know that God for all of eternity has predestined us to adoption as His children. And there is nothing that separates us from His love and nothing that plucks us from His hand. Without the eternal timeline of God's plan of salvation that we saw last week, without it, beloved, we have no hope. Notice what Paul ties this hope to in this verse. He says, the riches of our glorious inheritance. What's coming later. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be most pitiable. If the only thing we hope for is what this world has to offer us. Paul says, pity us above everybody else. But beloved, our hope is not here. Our hope is not here. Please, please, please let that sink in. We are embarking on a journey of replanting this church. We talked to a realtor this week and it looks like we're going to list this property for probably three times what we paid for it. But friends, our hope is not money in the bank. Our hope is not in a new name and in a new location, as important as those are. That's not where our hope lies. The hope for the future of this community, of your families, is not found in the next president or Supreme Court decision or governor, not found in the next mandate or the next freedom. The hope, the only hope we have is in the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. It's what He has stored up for us in that day of eternity. That's why hope Always, always says, yes, Lord. That's why hope always endures suffering. That's why hope always serves. That's why hope always sacrifices. 
It's why hope always denies itself, takes up its cross every day, and follows after Jesus. The psalmist writes in Psalm 33, The Lord looks down from heaven, and He sees all the children of man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, who He fastened their hearts of them all and observed all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Oh, beloved, I pray that the eyes of our hearts are enlightened with the hope, the hope that is in the eternal, glorious inheritance that we have secured in Jesus Christ. Paul makes one more request. In verse 19 and 20. He says what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Towards us. Who believe. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand. In the heavenly places. Paul has prayed for wisdom. He has prayed for hope. And now he prays for power. But he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray that the church will become powerful. He doesn't pray that we will rule or reign in this world. But that we would know the power that He is working in us even now the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. And beloved, here's the, here's the kicker in all this. The only way we experience His power is in our weakness. Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8 tell the story of Gideon. When God called Gideon to deliver the people from the hand of their enemy, Gideon's reply, Judges chapter 6, verse 15, is this. Please, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least. My people are the weakest, and of all my people, I'm the weakest of them. The glory of this story is that God magnified Gideon's weakness, taking his army, which was 32,000 strong, and reducing them to 300. And then God took those 300 and outfitted them with nothing but trumpets and jars and candles and defeated 130,000 enemy. And our weakness we experience the power of the resurrected Jesus working in our lives. 
Romans 5, 6, Paul said, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Because you see, we know, according to 1 John chapter 5, we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we must be watchful in our quest for power. We seek too much power in money or government or influence or status or education or race or gender or nationality or freedom or rights or political parties or connections. And we could go on and on and on. Our power is not of this world. It is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the throne room of glory. That is the power that Paul is calling us to experience. Our power is not to fix this world. Our power is for the spiritual battles in the heavenly places. The places where we have been blessed and the place where we sit with Jesus. Who asked this question in Mark 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? What power, what power are we seeking? What power is Paul praying for here? Paul continues to worship God through his hymn of praise in these early verses. And now through his prayer that is grounded in the doctrinal truths of God, the Holy Trinity. He doesn't pray for earthly provisions, but for godly wisdom godly hope and godly power all working in the saints who make us the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes us lastly this morning to see why it is that Paul is praying the way he prays. Why does Paul pray this way? We find that his prayer is fully and directly related to the person and rule of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 down to the end of the chapter. He, God the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who feels all in all. Beloved, the, the glorious wisdom of the church, the eternal hope of the church, and the resurrection power of the church is found in the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the head over all things in the church. Beloved, here is a difficult truth for us to grasp. This is... Not your church. Never has been and it never will be. This church and the church, the universal church of all redeemed, of all of histories, the church is Christ's. It is His power, His rule, His authority, His dominion that we have 
our existence. It is His blood that bought the church, redeemed the church. And it is His resurrection that secures the church. Our faithful, our faithfulness to walk in a manner that's worthy of His calling is a demonstration of His presence in us. God does not give us wisdom or hope or power or anything so that we can be seen as supreme in any realm. God grants these spiritual blessings in the beloved, for the beloved, and to the glory of the beloved. This is the culmination of everything that Paul has said to this point. He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ with a message from Jesus Christ. He is writing to the church of Jesus Christ who are faithful in Jesus Christ. He says that God has blessed us with spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. He chose us in Jesus Christ. He predestined us to adoption in Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to redeem through His death and His resurrection. He calls us to a faithful life of repentance and belief in Jesus. We are forgiven and redeemed in Jesus. The Holy Spirit seals us in Jesus for all of eternity. Our wisdom is knowing Jesus. Our hope is the eternal nature of Jesus. Our power is the resurrection of Jesus. Beloved, it's all about Jesus. Everything. God has given Him a name and highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, we gather today for the worship of Jesus. We worship God to the glory of Jesus. We worship in the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus. Everything, everything is about Jesus. There is no other name given among men that is counted as worthy to receive praise and power and dominion and glory and adoration and worship. May His name be praised from the highest mountain and the lowest valleys, from the cities to the forest, from the seas and the sky and the land. Listen to the words of the psalmist. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, beloved, may our prayers be prayers of worship. May our prayers praise the Lord. May our prayers seek His glory and His glory alone. This is the praise of the redeemed. 
This is the praise of the children of God. This is the cry of repentance and faith. This is wisdom and hope and power. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We praise you this morning, Father. We praise you in your sanctuary. We praise you as your gathered people. We praise you through the reading of your word. We praise you through the singing of your word. We praise you through the teaching and preaching of your word. We praise you that you have given us the Holy Spirit who is wisdom and revelation. We praise you that you have eternally secured for us a hope that is not of this world. And we thank you for the power of the resurrection of Jesus. That in, in, that in our weakness, we can know you and walk with you in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We praise you that there is no other name given among me but the name of Jesus. That he is head over all things. He is Lord. There is no making Him Lord. He is Lord. And at some point in our lives, we will all submit to His Lordship. Our knees will bow and our tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Father, my prayer is that You would drive us to this, this day, to this point, where we would do that now. Where we would experience Your eternal plan of salvation. Know the eternal security that is held in the hands of Jesus, in the hands of you, our Father, in the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that we can walk with you and know you and know that we have been redeemed and know that there is no darkness this world can throw at us that shatters our hope because it's not in this world. Know that we exist in a power that stands outside of us. My Father, more than anything, I pray that we who have breath in our lungs would praise the Lord, would exalt Him, would extol Him, would worship Him, that our tongues would sing praise to You, that our hearts would sing melody of praise to You, that our thoughts and our actions would be a sweet smell and aroma to You. Father, that you would drive our prayers to worship you. Father, for someone here who does not know you, I would pray that today would be the day that you draw them to yourself. Today would be the day that you bring them to a place of repentance and belief. Today would be a day that they experience your wisdom, your power, your hope, your presence. Today would be the day that they experience that eternal security that you have been working in their lives since before the foundation of the world. And I would pray, Father, for those of us who walk with you, those of us who name ourselves as believers, who struggle, who, who find ourselves deep in places of worry and anxiety and hopelessness and powerlessness. 
and foolishness even, that you would drive our prayers to the cross and to an empty tomb, that we could see Jesus, who is our head, and rest in him. We love you. We desire to follow you in every way. Use us for your kingdom's work. Expand your glory in your people. In Jesus' name.